So if you'll join me, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the uh, proportion of his faith, if service in his service, in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And Father, we do thank you for this word. We ask that you would help us now as we work our way through it, word by word, line by line. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us. And that's in Christ's good name that we pray. Amen. So kind of backing up to last week, the, the Romans chapter 12 is sort of this, this tipping point in Romans. The, the first 11 chapters are, are extremely vertical in nature from God or from man to God, looking at doctrinal truths, where we stand apart from Christ, where we stand in Christ, what God has done for us. Um, we, we learn about many things. And as we get to chapter 12, we start with this, therefore, and everything uh, tips, it shifts from the vertical to the horizontal. Since now God has done all of this stuff and we stand positionally justified in Christ. So what now? And chapters 12 through 16 go about how do we work out doctrine in, in, in practical ways? Uh, chapter 12 is really a beautiful chapter. These first two verses lay the foundation for the whole chapter. Uh, starting next week, we'll see that many of the verses are, are proverbial in, in statements, just truisms uh, for the believer. But the first verse, we, we begin with, therefore, this because of all of this doctrine, because of all of this stuff, I, that's Paul, urge you believers by the mercies of God, that because of what God's done for us, and because we know of his nature, because of his great mercy, I urge you to do a couple of things, which he's going to explain. He doesn't urge us by the wrath of God that we're spared from, but by the mercy, the tender side of God, that we've received this great mercy. And so therefore, it should compel us in how we live our lives. What he says, the first thing is, is to present your bodies, literally your flesh, your, your head, your ears, your eyes, your mouth, uh, your hands, your, your, your legs, your feet, how you live with your body, that you would offer your body as a living sacrifice. So often we can view this as uh, we're, we offer our bodies by not doing certain things, but I don't think that this is the heart of this passage, although it could be, but Paul's already made his case back in Romans 6 that we're dead to sin. We're no longer under sin's dominion. We're, we have life in Christ and so we're to use our bodies for his glory, a living and holy sacrifice. Living and sacrifice don't normally go together in the Bible. Sacrifice normally means death, that something was offered up. But now that Christ has made the offering for you through his death, through his atoning on the cross, we now 
say, Lord, here's my body. May you use it for your glory. It's yours to use. However, he says this is acceptable, which is your spiritual service of worship. I don't like the word spiritual. It seems too spiritual. It seems too lofty. I really like, I think it's the NIV, um, the ESV, that, that uh, there's a couple of them. I forget which ones. But they, they translate this spiritual as reasonable. That this is your reasonable service of worship. In light of all that God has done for you, in light of his uh, moving you from death to life in Christ, it's reasonable that you would worship him by allowing him to use your body how he sees fit. But this, this idea of giving God our bodies is radical. So how do we move to this position where we're willing to give him our life? Well, it begins with the mind. In verse 2 is where he goes. He says, do not be conformed to this world. And I talked about last week that this idea of conforming is you take a carafe or a pitcher and you, you put it under the spigot and water begins to fill the, the container. And the water will take the form of the container. And the first thing I notice from this is that we as believers are to be out and amongst the world. That we should have non-believing friends. That we should have people that we care deeply about that don't know Christ as their savior. We're to be there. We're to be in the world. We're to know the world. We're to understand the world. But the thing is, as we're poured into that container, we're not supposed to take its shape. And if you can imagine a, a pitcher filled with water, and if the water could just like squeeze in so it's not touching the edges, that's kind of like us in the world. We're in the world, but we're not conforming to the world, but we're being transformed. This word transfiguration, this metamorphosis, this, this transformation from the inside out, this allowing the spirit of God to transform you, to renew you, to change you, to shape you into the image of Christ. And he begins with the renewing of your mind, which I believe comes through the studying of the word of God, placing God's word into your heart so that when you live out your life, when you're out in the world, the word of God will begin to give you a filter that you see things as God sees them, not the way our world sees them. He says that as you do this, you'll come to understand what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable and perfect. And so he he begins with the mind. And in verse three, one word is going to appear uh, four times it translated different ways in the English. But we'll see this word think or judgment. But in the Greek, it's this idea of thinking. And so as our mind is transformed, our thinking is going to change. And he says, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly. Literally in the Greek, it's hyperthink or overthink or overestimate who you are. Don't think more highly of himself than he ought to think. And I think of the person writing this. This is the Apostle Paul. If you skim the scriptures, if you search for his biography, his background, we'll, we'll see that he of the Pharisees, he was... Uh, the, the top dog. He studied under Gamaliel. He was he was on the fast track to leading all of Judaism. His pedigree was second to none. He had great pride, and yet when he met Christ on the road to Damascus, he was put in his right place. 
that he got a fair appraisal of who he was as an individual. And suddenly he realized that everything about him was in relationship to, to who Christ was. We see this with the Apostle John, who was such a zealot young man that, that was passionate. Yet by the end of his life, he didn't even refer to himself in his writings. He only referred to himself as one whom Christ loved because that's all that mattered to him. He says, for the, verse 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Some have said, translated this as sober judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And I don't think this passage is saying that we need to uh, walk around with our heads down, our chins down, our shoulders slumped, like, woe is me, I'm just, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm nobody. I have no... That God has gifted us in certain ways. But it's to have this idea of humility. And the first thing that this does is this cuts against the world. Because the world tells us, make a lot of money. Go get as many toys as you can. Take care of yourself. Because you're the most important person in the whole world. Now the scriptures, as we go through the New Testament and Old Testament, it really says, no, God's first. Place others amongst yourselves don't don't think that you're the most important person this week i heard a phrase that said the world uh, as dealing with yourself thinking that you're an irreplaceable person said that the cemetery is filled with people that couldn't be replaced i mean it's a sobering thought if you think about that not only are you replaceable in your line of work but you will be replaced one day it's true for all of us we're we're all passing through our time here is short there's only one hero in the Bible, and that's God. And so Paul says, you know what? Start looking at others, putting others first. Understand your role with humility. And then in verse 4, from this thinking, he says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ individually members of one another this is a sort of a tongue twister as i've been like going over this but, but in this passage if you go back to verse one you'll see the word body is there and when he uses the word body up there he's thinking he, uh, about your body your flesh and blood that i have my body i can make a sacrifice to now as he refers to the individuals that have bodies the body's no longer referring to the individual it's referring to to the collective makeup of all of the believers. This is the church. We at Valley Baptist Church, we're a local church, but we really are only a small part of, of the universal church, which makes up every single believer in the world as a part of the body of Christ. And he begins to show this, this idea that you're a part of something bigger, that, that you have a form, a, a function, we, for just as we have many members, many people in one body, that all of us together make one. But notice the second thing it says, and not all the members, and all the members do not have the same function. The, man, two days ago, my ear, I never have had an earache before. Like all of the diving and jumping and stuff I've done, earache, I think I would have had one before. And then, well, on Sunday, Saturday, Friday, 
I start feeling this like pain here. I'm like, ugh. Like, I probably have thyroid cancer. Like I jumped to the I jumped to like the worst. <laughs> like I, I I take the most logical leaps, you know? Oh, this is it. <laughs> this is it. I'm getting ready to say goodbye to my wife. And I'm like, this is it. And then all of a sudden, my ear is like, oh. Like, I take a step, and it feels like a little guy's in there with an ice pick. Like, good. And I'm like, whoa. By, by yesterday, I'm laying in bed just watching MacGyvers all day because they're free on Amazon. I like MacGyver. <laughs> and so I'm just like, I can't do anything. This ear hurts so bad. And I'm convinced today that God's given me this earache to, to make the point. Like, I don't think about my ear that much. I would think that it's probably not that, that important of a part of my body. Like, if I had to give, if I had the option, I had to lose a, lose a part of the body, I'd give up my right ear, you know? Like, I'd give it up over my hands or my eyes. But then suddenly it goes bad. I'm like, I guess this is a pretty important part of my body. Like, I can barely sleep. It hurts so bad. It's doing better today. I'm better than I was yesterday. But, but the idea that, that, that we're not to judge one another or to understand that our gifting amongst the body, that we all have significance, we're wired differently. We don't have the same function, but our function together is critical. He starts speaking on this, this body of Christ that we're individually members of one another, that the, everybody in this church who is in Christ, we're a part of one another. We're connected. I used to hear it all the time. Oh, I used to say it. I used to hear it all the time. In the early days when I started like coming to the idea that I was sort of okay with becoming a Christian, like I was kind of going down that road. And then one of the things I used to say is like, well, no, I believe, but it's my own thing. Just me and God, and I don't need all that church stuff. I don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. Everything in the scriptures is that we're, we're connected, that we're family, that we're interrelated with one another. And, and, and my part of being connected to the body is critical. Your part of being connected to the body is critical. But we don't often see it that way. He, he continues in verse 6. He says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So as he's talking about the body, and he, and he, he begins to touch on this area of, of gifts. He doesn't say spiritual gifts. I've I wrestled with how, how in-depth to go or to cover in this section. I, I have mixed feelings. But the first thing he says that we observe is that we, that's the believers, we have gifts and they differ. My gifts aren't the same as Larry's gifts. Larry's gifts aren't the same as Dan's gifts and vice versa. We may have some gifts that overlap or we might have gifts that are the same. But, but we see this, this difference. And I remember when I first started going to church, deep within me there was this Feeling like I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be doing something, but but I, I I didn't know what to do with it. I did I wasn't discipled. I didn't know the word. I didn't I didn't know what was going on. All I knew is that when I went into church, I felt like I was supposed to be doing something more. I but I had no idea what that more was. But then the church I went to, I sort of 
felt like all the spots on the team were taken. And it wasn't the church. It was just me. I just kind of walked in like not knowing. Now, a lot of us know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If you would turn with me, that's towards the back of the Bible. You'll hit Corinthians and then you'll hit um, Ephesians after Galatians. And in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, there's these very famous verses that a lot of people know. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's clear that our relationship with, with God through Christ is by it's his grace. We haven't earned it. We haven't worked for it. You can't work for it. We see that all through Romans. But very few people know Ephesians 2.10. He, he gives this big list. It's not about works. It's not about doing anything. You can't. It's only by grace through faith. But then you come to verse 10. It says we are his workmanship. This workmanship is poema, like a, a poetry. Like that, we're a, a, that each of us are like God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And, and so we're told that we're not saved by grace, but, but you're saved to do works. That, that the Christian life isn't this noun of, oh, I, now I am, I'm no longer going to hell and I just am. No, you're saved to, to serve and, and to function and to live out God's plan. He has works for you. I don't know what they are, but my role is to help you find them and to start serving in that capacity. For me, when I left that church because a new one had started and I had this feeling inside, but I, I didn't know what to do with it. Then this new church, it was, it was like an instant uh, mega church. And every week the pastor's like, hey, if you're not serving, don't blame us. We have all kinds of help. But then I was like, well, I want to serve. But then I, I'm an active duty Navy SEAL. I'm on the road like over 200 days out of the year. How can I like volunteer for something and not be there? But this feeling kept like eating me up like I was supposed to be doing something, but I didn't know what it was. And finally, one day after church, I went to one of the pastors and I think I was really going more to to relieve um, my conscience. I was going to say, oh, well, can I serve? But this this and I, I can't give you I can't guarantee I'll be here every week. And I was halfway thinking and say, oh, don't worry about it. Just you're good, man. You have the blessing like that's And I, it's kind of what I wanted to, to have my conscience cleared. You're good to go. And so I went up to him like, hey, I really want to serve. I feel like I'm supposed to serve. I feel like I'm supposed to do something. And but I'm like, but the deal is I'm an active duty Navy SEAL. I'm about ready to deploy. I'm on the road almost like all the time. So I don't think you can use me. And I was getting ready to say, hey, but I'm a great guy for volunteering, you know, but uh, he's like, hey, can you smile and shake people's hands? Like sometimes, and he's like, "Well, how, how about how about when you're in town and you're here on a Sunday, you help with us just simply shaking people's hands and saying, "Good morning, welcome, welcome to our church. Help them find a seat or help them in the parking lot." And so I started doing that when I was available, and it was amazing that as I started serving, what God began to do. So we know that we have different gifts. The gifts differ. We each 
which we're going to close with, we'll see that each person has a gift. Can we put the scriptures up on the screen? I don't, just because I'm going to rattle off a bunch. Oh, no. He's giving me the, it's not working. We'll survive. We'll do it the old-fashioned way. So since we have gifts that differ, differ according to the grace given to us, each is to exercise them accordingly. Uh, we see that every person has different gifts. They're given to us by grace. They're not, you don't teach spiritual gifts. You don't come, hey, learn how to exercise this gift. It's a gift that was given. You have it or you don't have it. Many of the gifts, as we're going to get down into this partial list, which I'm going to kind of just skim over, if you want like an exhaustive list of what gifts are available or mentioned in the Bible, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. You could go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Or 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. If you didn't get that, you can just talk to me afterwards for the three of you that are taking notes on that. But so they're, they're given to us. When we, when we look at the gifts, they're not exclusive. Most of the gifts, every believer should be functioning in, in the capacity at some level. Some people are, have gifts in a certain area that sort of, there's just a particular one that they are exceptionally good at. Some have defined a spiritual gift in this way. A supernatural ability is given by God to individuals that enable them to perform a function with ease and effectiveness, I would say, within the body of Christ. That God, through his spirit, gives you this supernatural ability that's outside of your normal comfort zone and to enable you to serve a purpose within his desire. The last part we see here is that we're to exercise them accordingly. You're not to have a gift. If you're a believer, you have a gift. Fortunately, most of us have a parked car in the garage and we're not using it. Every January, we make these, uh, I forget the word to even call it, uh, a little renewing of the vows, resolution. You make a resolution. The top one's always, I'm going to work out more. And so I'm going to buy the Nordic track. And so then I buy the Nordic track and two weeks later, it's under the bed collecting cobwebs and we don't use it. We're supposed to exercise these gifts. We're supposed to use these gifts. We're supposed to work out our salvation to, to live out what God's given to us. And so he lists a couple. And he says, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, and prophecy is one of these that I think sort of, in the truest sense of this word, I believe that prophecy was a, a, a prophet of old, somebody who God spoke to, led by the Spirit, to, to reveal the word of God to people. The authors of the Bible, the prophets of old, uh, because of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, if you'll turn with me there, in the truest sense, I, I don't, I, I'm hesitant when people say, well, I have the gift of prophecy. And, and, and the person that says I have the gift of prophecy, and a lot of times it, it, they're saying, in addition to the word of God, I've been given this special landline to God, and now I'm revealing new stuff that is outside the word of God. 
Um, there are like the, the Mormon church has their prophet, the, the Catholic church with the Pope. Um, there are others that say that they can give revelation that goes outside of the word of God. And to me, there's great danger in that. Hebrews chapter one, verse one says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets and in many portions, in many ways. So in the Old Testament, God used all kind of varieties. But he says, in the last days, he has spoken to us in a son in whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And so I think that going back to Romans 12, I think to, to, I, I don't think there's new revelation coming. I, I use the word revelation cautiously. If we want to use the gift of prophecy like some in a in a contemporary sense that I'm OK with, some have said that like teaching pastors who teach the word of God, who have an ability to communicate that which has already been revealed in a prophetic way that OK or an individual that's able to open up the Bible, there are people that, that, that counsel people and they see this crisis in their life and they say, you know what? There's this verse in the Bible and, and this, listen to what it says. And I think that in your life, this is how it could help you. So, so in the modern sense, I, I'm okay with using it that way. I, I get nervous when we start talking about, I have this new revelation. I ate a burrito last night and now I had this revelation and I think this new thing and it is contrary to the word of God. We need to be careful because God has revealed his word to us that the canon is closed. He says, if service, verse seven, and is serving there, we all are to serve as Christians. This is the word for deacon. Uh, don't think too highly of yourself. I, I as a pastor now, I, I, there's the old school people that I that often have a hard time with me as a pastor, as serving, because I like I serve, I like serving, I like helping, I like doing stuff, and I love like Dolores during the first service. There's been a couple times where she's busted me at Costco shopping for the church. She's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm picking up supplies for the church." Why are you doing that? You shouldn't be doing that. You're the pastor. I'm like, but I like doing this stuff. I'm doing this because I want to. Other people would, but but I like serving. She's like, okay, are you sure that you want to? I'm like, yes, don't like, I'm nobody special. I want to exercise this gift. Don't put me up on a pedestal because I'm a pastor. I'm just serving. She also will give me a big plate of food at the potluck. She'll skip ahead of the line and then she'll bring it back to me. I'm okay with that. <laughs> be honest. But, but if you have this we're all to serve i mean even jesus the mark ten forty five. i had to do a video with this it was this is before i could do the camera stuff and i hated it i i muffed that line so bad so many times on the camera like just relax just say it. You're, like, you're just making me nervous but in mark ten forty five, it's jesus said i didn't come to to, to, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He's our example. He, the creator of the universe, came to serve. We're not above serving. But some people, and you've met these people. I can tell you who they are in our church. These people that will any time, day or night, are just wanting to go above and beyond to serve and to help you. However, they're a huge blessing. He who teaches and is teaching. If God's given you the capacity to teach, then to teach. He who exhorts and is exhortation. 
Exhortation's encouraging. It's like the, the coach. Sometimes it's the pastor that when they're teaching, you think, are they reading my email? How are they talking like this? It's that they have this gift of, of, of taking the Bible and exhorting it and applying it in, in, their, in, a, in a way that hits really close to home without them knowing anything about you. It's a, it's a gift of exhortation to prompt you to, to move along in your Christian life. See, this is the big one. I already said, he who gives with liberality. You know, a bunch of people are like, oh, I don't have that gift. That's not my spiritual gift, so I'm exempt from giving. This is not what this is teaching. I, I said it already that they're, they're, all Christians are supposed to give. And we don't, I teach on money as it comes up. But money's just a tool. It's a, it's a resource. All of it's God's. You're just a manager. And I can't say that the, the New Testament necessarily teaches tithing of giving of a 10%. But if we really want to examine what it teaches, it, it uses words like sacrificial giving and stuff that is much higher. I, I'm with Hank Hanegraaff. I do believe that tithing is training wheels for Christian giving. But there are some people who have an extraordinary gift of giving. Sometimes these people have a lot of money. And most often I found that these people don't have a lot of money. But they just give with a way. And as a pastor, when I see the gifts, um, sometimes like a special gift comes in that somebody says, hey, I want to give this, but I don't want to know who it is. I'm blown away by the generosity of people who have this gift of just giving and propelling uh, the work of the ministry. And he says, if you have the gift of giving, then give with liberality. God's the one who provides for you. He'll provide. And as you exercise your gifts, fruit will bear out in your life. That who, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy is a gift that is those that have it. I, I, I don't have the gift of mercy, not at all. Although uh, the longer I've been a Christian, and especially as a pastor, this is an area where I've had to learn how to function in this area. But there are some people that... Yesterday I spoke at a women's group. It was very awkward. I was the only guy speaking to a bunch of women. Talk about being out of place. And during the talk, I told a story of Anna and I had been married for a couple years. Grace was a little baby. We got on the freeway, and uh, it, it's, it's basically down by 32nd Street. If you go, you take like the 5 South, and you, can, you loop around, and then you shoot up to the 15 North. As you're looping around, you go underneath a bridge. It, had just, it, it was dark. It had just, the sun had just set, but it was dark enough to where you couldn't really make out stuff anymore. And as we made the loop around, I saw a guy jump from the bridge to the ground. Anna and, the, and Grace didn't see it. I pulled past it. I stopped. I went back to help. I was trying to control traffic because there's like three on-ramps. And my gift is not mercy. But the guy was there kind of in the center lane and not doing, not doing well. He did not survive the jump. But once we got traffic sort of contained and the CHP came to block off traffic, we were still waiting for the paramedics seemed like an eternity. And so I like didn't want to go help this. Like I just, I'm like, I don't want to go help this guy because, but I'm trained medically. So I feel obligated to go over there. And when I went over to this scene, there was this lady who I 
I'm convinced was an angel. Like I, this dear lady laid down next to this guy and just put her arm around him and held his head and was just praying with him, talking to him. And I'm like in tears going that I don't have that. But there are people that can like, I go down to Gabriel house. I don't like going down to Gabriel house. These severely handicapped kids for years. It's like, well, my ministry is just to drive the suburb and get down there. Once we park everybody, I'm going to take a nap so we can get us a safe ride home. But then there are people with these severely handicapped kids that just love on them. We're in a hospital room or hospice setting. As a pastor, I find that I have to kick out people that don't have the gift of mercy because they want to just talk and say, it's like, like, I'm sorry, but the family needs a rest. Then you see somebody with the gift of mercy just walk in and hold the person's hand and just sit there and be with them. And it's beautiful. And if you have this gift of mercy, don't withhold it because there are so many people that are hurting that need it. And all of the gifts are important. If you search and... A lot of debate comes over. People want to take spiritual tests to say, well, what's my spiritual gift? I'm uh, I'm not truly a a big fan of it because I I feel like you're supposed to serve. If you turn with me, we're going to close in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to end here. Uh, I'm not saying that that spiritual gifts are, the spiritual gift tests are necessarily bad. But I think that often a lot of debate surfaces from them. Most people that go and take a spiritual test come back to me and say, what does this mean? So, I don't know. I didn't write that test. I, have, I don't know what that means. I'm really sorry. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Um, and sometimes we're so in, we're just chasing, the, trying to figure out what our gift is that we miss. Like, I have just one, but... Uh, but the reality is, is your talent, your gifting, your wiring, all of this, who gave it to all to you? God, he gave you the capacity. So, so you might, I know for sure that each one that's a believer has one spiritual gift from scripture. I'm absolutely positive from the verse that we're going to look at. I'm guaranteed that you each have one, but I'm also guaranteed that you all have a bunch of talents and a bunch of resources and skills and likes and dislikes and and i believe that god made you that way so that you can use all of these for his glory and where i want to end here is in first peter chapter 4 verse 7 we're going to look at a few verses here i love peter especially at the end of his life this this dear brother that started with all sorts of passion opening his big mouth that by the end of his life he was so changed through the resurrection of christ and refined it's encouraging to know that God does this refining work in each of our lives. And in verse 7, what he says is the end of all things is near. God is outside of time. I don't know when he's coming back. I know he is coming back or we're going to meet him soon. Each of us. Our life is passing before our eyes like this. I don't know who the oldest person that I've ever met, but the majority of people that I've met that are what I would categorize as the oldest person. I don't know any elderly person that just kind of was like, I've been here forever. Just won't go on. Everybody that I know that's older, they say, life goes by like that. 
I look at myself in the mirror and in my heart, I see just, I'm only a 14 year old kid, but something happened on the outside. That's going by quick. And Peter understood that either the Lord is coming back or even if he's going to wait another 5,000 years, which is nothing because God is outside of time. That for each of us, we're going to stand with him. He's coming or we're going to meet him soon. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Notice what he said. That this is very Romans 12, the, the sound thinking, sober spirit. Why? For the purpose of prayer. This is the greatest spiritual gift test that I, that, that I see. Two things. Prayer and start, start serving. Start somewhere. Shake a hand. Help them find a seat. Do something. You can't steer a parked car. But as you say, okay, Lord, I really, I, I, I believe that your word tells me that you've gifted me in a certain way. I, I want to serve you. And, and so I'm going to step out and go this direction. Either God will, 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 will steer you and adjust you. I'm so glad that I didn't take a spiritual test when I first became a Christian. That, that the spiritual test said, hey, you're going to go be a preaching pastor of a church. If I took that test, do you know what I would have done? I would have done nothing but reading books on preaching, doing all sorts of stuff to try to refine that gift. But God put me to work at an old person's home. He sent me to a, a Spanish-speaking church. He used to make me, like, all of this stuff, that all of this stuff that, I, that didn't seem like it had anything to do with what I feel like my gifting is, had everything to do with preparing me for this gifting. And I guarantee you, he's doing that in your life. As you pray, as you say, Lord, I want to serve, so this is an opportunity, or I see this. And you start doing it, he'll either keep opening doors or he'll, he'll turn you a little bit and you, you'll, you don't know how he'll use it. But we're to have sober spirit for the purpose of prayer that we would seek him with diligence. That, that the creator of the universe has placed his spirit into us as believers. And above all, keep fervent your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Next to this, I have this would help so many marriages today in my own notes. This is the key to marriage. Within the body of Christ, we're all different. We've seen a variety of gifts. Uh, families aren't all the same. There's oddballs. There's always Uncle Larry. I said it during last service, you know. We all love Uncle Larry. He's a great guy, but we're different. And there's variety. And and, and I would not hang out with half the Christians I hang out with today if it wasn't because of what God did in my life. I wasn't hanging out with Christians or people. I hung out with everybody that was like me before I became a Christian. Now I have friends that are like so different and so varied. And it's so much the beauty in this because God likes variety. He's such a creative God. But in this, in these differences, as your passions you're passionate about one thing. The next person will be passionate about another thing. And sometimes tensions can arise in this. Evangelists think that everything needs to be focused on evangelism. Then, then people who are like, just know it's all about discipleship. We need to be teaching and healthy sheep. There's conflict. But in the midst of this, you need love. Love covers a multitude of sins. 
Verse 10, be hospitable with one another without complaint. This caring for one another, putting others first. When you're being hospitable to somebody, why are you complaining? Because your little bubble got infringed on. Your little world got shaken up. And I'm not a hospitable person. I hate it that God's forcing me to learn to become hospitable because it rocks my little world of like my privacy world where that I get my energy from. I'm not an extrovert. I, I recharge by being alone. But I see that God wants me to be hospitable. And if I'm being hospitable, and claim it. Man, these people making a mess in my bathroom and being here and eating my food and drinking my water and sitting on my spot, sitting in my chair. <laughs> You're kind of defeating the whole purpose. It's because I'm putting myself first. I'm not, I'm not, I'm thinking more highly of myself. And then we come to verse 10, which is really the key like verse of why I landed here. As each one, that's everyone in Christ, has received a special gift. This is a spiritual gift. Don't take your gift and put it in unemployment. Employ it. Use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He says, I've given you a gift. I've given it to you to walk with me that you could serve it in serving one another. Your gift is critically important for the body of Christ. Wherever you find yourself, it's critical for you to use it for you to grow personally, for you to bless the body and to help others. It says, whoever, is, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. He gives us, he wants you to walk in it as you walk with him. He'll empower you. He fills you with the spirit so that your gift can be used for his glory. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to end. I didn't do this during the last service. But if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to get a little personal with you all. My great struggle. I feel that my role as a pastor in this capacity of teaching. My mission statement is found in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. It said he gave some as apostles and prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. So, so I feel my gifting pastor teacher is right here. And so what's my role? What's my function? Well, my function is found in verse 12. The aim that I have, which I think comes through teaching the word of God, is for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So my role as I teach, as I lead, as I teach the word of God to y'all who are the saints, you are a saint if you're in Christ. God has called you for good works. And as I teach, the word should go into you, should be propelled to grow deeper in your walk with God. You should begin serving and, and finding out the role that God has called you for. And the church isn't this building. Valley Baptist Church is the group of people who have trusted in Christ, who meet at this building, this location to study. Once we shut down the doors and we kick you guys out because I'm hungry for lunch and we shut off all the lights. It's not like church is done, like that, that Valley Baptist Church doesn't exist until the next time that this church building opens up again. The, the church is all of us. And so once we go out, 
you're, we're still the church. It's just the church is sort of scattered around North County, wherever you live. And so, so sometimes the ministry that God's called you, it could be within these buildings or around here. Other times it could be out in your workplace or your, I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I know that my role is to help you find your place to serve in that capacity. And so often people come up to me and say, Gunnar, I have a great idea. How about we do this? And when they say that, they normally mean me to do that. I say, that's a great idea. I think God's calling you to do that. He's put it on your heart. Run with it. Go for it. And so with that, I want to pray. I want to encourage each of you to, to, to just begin praying and asking God, Lord, what, it is, what is it that you've called me to do? It could be anything. I don't know. But I do know that he'll, he'll show you, he'll lead you. And you may start with, hey, I want to greet people. I want to shake people's hands as they come in. But that leads you to something else. Where you start is not where you'll end up. But I guarantee that as you start, he'll guide you. And so, Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. Father, we thank you that in Christ we stand justified, that we are at peace with you. Father, we thank you that as we've trusted in Christ, you've given us your spirit, that you have indwelt us. For those who are in Christ... no condemnation our position with you is secured through the work of christ we thank you that it's not by works that we're saved it's not by works to please you we thank you that you love us lord we thank you that our security is based totally and completely on you your faithfulness and lord as we turn the page of romans and enter into romans 12 and beyond lord we Lord, we confess that often we don't want to give you our life. We hold on to areas. We're great at compartmentalizing areas in our life that we want to live and enjoy on our own. So often, Lord, we are chasing facades that don't make us happier. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear the words of Paul, Lord. That he's urging us by your mercy that we would offer our lives to you. It's reasonable. And Father, this begins with a change in our mind. And so, Father, we pray that you would grant us a desire in our heart to, to be in your word, not out of obligation, but out of love for you, that we would grow to know you, that we would grow to understand uh, your heart for humanity in this world, that you would transform our minds, Lord, Father, help us to stop being so prideful. Stop taking ourselves so seriously. Lord, I pray that you would help us to view others as you view others. That we would follow your example as Christ led. Just pouring himself out in service of others, Lord. And I believe that that's where true joy and true peace and true happiness is, is living for you, blessing others, thinking of ourselves less. And Father, whatever our gifts are, I pray that you would help us to discover them, Lord, that we would use them, that, that we would find our place in the body of Christ, 
it's hard to think that one person could be so important in the, the, the grand scheme of things, Lord. I feel so insignificant at times. But Lord, your word tells us that we are a part of a body and that our part, our function is important for that body. And so, Lord, I'm thankful for all of the people in this church who do serve, who, who serve in the gifts that you've called them to serve in, Lord. It's a, it's a blessing to all of us. Father, we pray that as new people come to our church, that you would help us to, to graft them in, Lord, to give them a place of service. For we know it's so important for our, our life to grow. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.